Oklahoma Houston Sunday night uh, kicking off the season both for the Sooners and the Cougars. What we're more interested about is the Sooners. Um, and look, Rich, before we, we jump into this game specifically, I feel like we need to talk about the depth chart. Um, you know, really no big surprises for me on the offensive side of the ball outside of RJ Proctor. And, and maybe for me, it's just a little bit, a little bit of, of a prideful thing. I had RJ Proctor uh, listed as the, as a starter. Now he's uh, backup left guard to Marquise Hayes. Here's your offensive line starters, left tackle, Eric Swenson, left guard, Marquise Hayes. Uh, of course we knew Creed Humphrey was the starter at the center position, right guard. You got Tyrese Robinson and then right tackle Adrian Ely. Interesting to me, Rich, is that you got Eric Swenson left tackle. He's a redshirt junior, everybody else. You have the other four guys, redshirt sophomore. So, um, Bill Beatenbow, I, I see what he's doing here with the youth movement. Uh, apparently, he feels like these guys are ready. So, Bill Beatenbow's given us no reason not to trust him in his time at Oklahoma. But how big of a surprise was it for you that R.J. Proctor is not listed amongst the starting five on the offensive line? Yeah, I was actually in the same boat that you're in, in the fact that here's a guy who's transferring in. He's got that year of eligibility remaining. And you think, not that anything is handed to these players, but you think a guy who's coming in with FBS-level experience competing against such a young roster and the versatility that R.J. Proctor has, it wasn't a guaranteed, but it was almost as if you would have to find a couple of different issues in order to keep R.J. Proctor off of the field. I guess they, they made a case and he's not listed as a starter. When I say off the field, I mean as a starter. But here we are, and he is not a starter on the roster. I did have one other thing, though, that, that kind of surprised me when it came to the offensive side of the ball. And I don't know if, if you caught this, if you looked at it, or you just didn't think much of it. First, we have the offensive line. Yeah, list of new names minus Creed Humphrey. But secondary to that was the battle at wide receiver. You have incoming freshmen who are extremely talented. You've got a crew of players who started to prove a little bit of their, their potential and make an impact on the field, specifically the guy that I'm looking at is Charleston Rambo, because I expected him to compete for the job, but nowhere did it ever cross my mind that on day one, he would be listed as an or with two other guys. Whether they overtook yeah. him later well, in the season is a completely right. different story. But game one, I did not expect to see an or there. No, I, I don't think. I mean, the, the only guy, the only receiver who doesn't have an or by his name is C.D. Lamb. So, I mean, C.D. Lamb is going to be on the field more than any other receiver. And that means these, these other guys, are it's going to be a rotation. I mean, and so I, I don't look at that as a, as a negative at all. I mean, I, Charleston Rambo, we, we know how much talent this kid has. We know his potential. We know his speed. You saw him play in the Orange Bowl against Alabama, have a big second half. Um, the fact that, you know, you got Hazelwood and, and Bridges, they're, they're both super talented guys that have been on campus since spring. You know, look, I to me it's a bigger to me it's a it's a bigger question mark. If you're looking at receivers, is that your starters at the Y are Grant Calcaterra or Lee Morris, and a guy like Austin Stogner is not listed there as an or. I mean, he's 
obviously these guys are going to play. They're, they're going to go every bit nine deep with receivers this position this season. Um, it doesn't surprise me with Charleston Rambo. The, these guys, Hazelwood, Bridges, the, these guys have talent. And, and we've known that. We've known that through their recruitment period. We've known it because we saw them in the spring. They're going to play and, and they're, going to, they're going to make plays. Um, I, I would say... I would say I'm not surprised. I'm just going to throw it at that. I'm, I'm not surprised okay. uh, because I think they're all going to play. And I think they're all going to play a substantial amount. I, this, I, I think what you're going to see happen based on different personnel packages is that you might see three receivers come in and the next play three more receivers. Three receivers go out, three more come in. Again, based on what they're doing personnel. Um, and you're going to see probably five receiver sets a, a lot of times. So no, I'm not surprised at all. I guess the the biggest surprise then for the entire depth chart for me comes in the fact that Lincoln Riley appeared not not willing to commit to commenting or releasing a depth chart. And then we have this big production. So I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Dana Holgerson's happy. The question is, did he respond? I haven't even looked this up. Did Dana Holgerson respond and finally release his depth chart as well? I can log into the old college <laughs> press box and, and let you know the answer to that question. Uh, no, but, he, yeah, just... uh, you know, Lincoln Riley said on Monday, uh, and no, Houston has not released it too deep uh, for this game just yet. The, you know, Lincoln Riley did say on Monday that he, he they had a lot of positions that they weren't certain at. By the way, I apologize for background noise. I'm I'm still in New York City, so which is still the see that never sleeps um i said last week on, on the podcast is by far the noisiest one of the top two noisiest cities I've ever been to in the world but lincoln riley did say on monday that he um he would rather wait and not put out something on monday he'd rather wait midweek and put something out midweek where they have a little more clarity and, and that's what he said and and that's um that's you know that's fine uh, I, I got no problem with it. I got no problem with Lincoln Riley doesn't release a depth chart because you flip over to the defensive side of the ball here, and my goodness, you've got 10 out of the 11 positions. They're not settled at the 3D. Four out of the 11 right. starting positions aren't settled yet. The only thing that's mm-hmm. settled, the only thing that's settled is you got Trey Brown and Jordan Parker. One, in, I mean, Trey Brown starting corner, Jordan Parker will be his backup. And then I, I got to throw this at you because I, I, I was shocked, shocked that Parnell Motley being listed as a starter. Uh, nothing against the kid, nothing at all <laughs> against the kid, but we know the struggles. We, we, and, and, and again, I, I, I'm, we're going to segue into this after our first break, but you're looking in this defensive secondary at a lot of the same names and two guys who struggled to have, who have struggled heavily, struggled heavily in 2018, Parnell Motley and Brendan Redley Hiles both look like, I mean, Motley's listed as a starter, Hiles still in a little bit of a battle there, but I, look, man, if, if you're if you're looking at this defensive depth chart and you're thinking they're they're a lot better, um, it's looking like the same personnel to me. And that may very well be the case. It's the question comes in when you're looking at who's going to start and who's going to be listed right behind them. It doesn't come down to what you've done. It doesn't come down to any of the failures or the shortcomings that you've had in the past either. It was a complete clean slate, and it's how do you respond to a new voice in the locker room, a new voice guiding 
this defense? Do you respond well? Do you take direction? These, I think what we're seeing are guys who have one, I want to focus on Parnell Motley because this is what came to mind when you mentioned his name. Guys who have a lot of potential and made some big plays, but at the same time aren't a polished product. There are still some improvements that can be made. And I think that's what this defense, instead of focusing on the the stat line and how many turnovers they're going to get, which I know is being promoted heavily within the program itself, but it's about making making steps forward each and every day. Who's done that the most? I think that's who we're seeing rise to the top. Will it be like that once conference play begins? I don't know because anything can happen at this point in time just because something's down on paper. Hey, Rich, I, I don't know if you're if you can hear me or not, but uh, but we lost you a little bit. You you were saying just because something's done on paper, uh, I, I think yeah, you were going to say yeah, you're back. I think you were going to say doesn't mean it's it's you know it's, it's that's how it's going to play out. And it's and yeah, just because something's set in, set written down on paper, all I said was doesn't mean it's set in stone. No, I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent with that. And I even wrote today exactly some of the same things that you said. And 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 it's it's it it's great that we kind of think alike in, in that standpoint because it's not, you know, when you when you come in with a clean slate, that what basically what Alex Grinch said, I don't care what you've done in good in the past, you've got to earn a spot on my team. And and it shows that that means also I don't care what you've done that's been a negative in the past as far as what's happened on the field you have a chance to earn a spot. And Parnell Motley has weighed through that through the spring and now through fall camp and has, has earned that spot. So I'm all for giving him the chance. I'm just a little bit apprehensive and nervous about it. Just, just to throw that out there and, and be honest with you. He's rich. I'm Matt. You're right. But, your oh, go ahead. I was going to no, say, no, this, uh, you're I good. I was break, but go ahead. Yeah. The thing I wanted to add to that was that's how I think a majority of the fan base heels towards the defense we're hopeful but we're apprehensive we're reserved in handing out medals if you will at this point in time to a defense that has yet to prove themselves worthy of competing for a national title no i agree i agree 100 percent yeah 100 percent. we're on the same page here now i'm going to do this segue okay He's Rich. I'm Matt. You're listening to the Sioux Nation <laughs> podcast the online podcast for heartland sports heartland-sports.com is where you can find us on the web Okay, Rich. Uh, welcome back to the to the podcast. Um, look, man. When when we come when it comes to the defense itself, we'll, we'll segue right into that now. When we, when it comes to this team, this defense, and what's going to happen on um, on Sunday night, I I hundred percent feel like the safe play here is to be prepared to be disappointed. Tell tell me why I'm wrong. For the defense, man, I I don't know that you are wrong here's here's what i'll say here here's what i'll say okay because when you look at the defensive depth chart we're seeing a a lot of surprises we're seeing a lot of names i'm looking specifically at a guy like Jalen redmond who sat out last year due to blood clots is now back in is holding down what appears to be a starting role and is an impact type player that wasn't available Last year, at at the linebacker position, I think you've got a little bit more competition. Oklahoma, the difference is going to come up front. 
And so I'm specifically looking at, for me, Matt, you may completely disagree with that, but looking at some of these guys and who can be difference makers up front, especially when I'm looking at what Houston brings with a mobile quarterback, but also a guy who can throw on a consistent basis. You got some speedy um, defenders who have slimmed down, who have essentially worked on closing in or gaining speed so that you can catch up to a guy like Derek King. Needless to say, like I said, it's all going to start with with Redmond, but I'm looking at Deshaun White, Ryan Jones, at the linebacker position. You've got uh, these Russians as well, Nick Bonito. I'm going to butcher that name. I know that, but he's a natural fit for that position. And a guy who has the speed, who has that natural instinct, like he has, is going to thrive in that role. So I'm hoping some of these new faces – because of the competition, because of this open door opportunity and them seizing that moment that we're going to see a better product. It's, it's the reason to be hopeful is there are still a lot of new faces, despite what you're seeing, old faces, and maybe some of the tendencies that have been attached to those names when it comes to instincts, when it comes to fundamentals, etc. But But here's the thing, Rich. I, again, I, I can't. I can't take what you're saying and and completely 100% disagree with it and say and say you're crazy. But what I can tell you is that I'm, I'm gonna throw a question out here and and you just tell me first thing that comes to mind. Okay, here's my question: When's the last time Oklahoma lost a football game and you can blame the loss on the offense? It's been a long time. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, what, I would I would have to go back. Before, well, there are some in between years, but I was gonna say before Jason White. No, I mean, 2000, 2009 was, was a bad offensive season because that's, that was the year Sam Bradford and Jermaine Gresham right. got hurt. I'm thinking Bedlam 2011 where they just, you know, Josh Heupel did like 63 pass plays just in the first half alone. But it's been a long time. It's been a long time since you can say, well, you know, the, I mean, for they haven't lost a lot of games. I, I saw a mm-hmm. quote um this week and i think i put it in my 10 things to know about oklahoma and houston this is an amazing stat oklahoma has in the last last 20 years oklahoma has won more big 12 championships than it has lost home football games that's crazy it's a crazy stat 12 big 12 championships since the turn of the century 10 home losses since the turn of the century crazy stat that means that we're not looking at a, a lot of losses here but it's been a long time since you've said, well, the defense played well enough for us to win this game. This the offense blew it. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's been a long hey, time. Go ahead. I want to throw out, I want to throw out, this is a complete random thought at this point in time, but you're talking about the Bob Stoops era. Um, and I know that's bled over into now Lincoln Riley's tenure at the University of Oklahoma. But under Bob Stoops, a lot of people consider Bob Stoops a defensive coach, no? Yeah, right. Uh, Yeah, 100%. So my opinion and the way that I would work things, if I'm in Bob Stoops' mind, is you go and you get guys who can counterbalance you, who balance you out in your approach to the game. And you think about all the offensive coordinators that Mike Stoops had come through the University of Oklahoma and just how good they were and the impact they left not only in Norman, but across the college football landscape. And the defense kind of suffered 
because you weren't getting these new guys in there who could direct that. You didn't have any of these big names like you do on offense. The reverse, I, I think we're going to see that trend reverse itself. Hopefully, Lincoln Riley being an offensive coach, one of the greatest offensive minds in the game currently at the collegiate level, bringing in some of these defensive guys, a la Alex Grinch, who will balance him out in his approach to the game. And I'm hoping we're going to see a very similar impact to what Bob Stoops was able to do in his first 10 years on campus, but on the opposite side of the ball. Well, and the thing about it is, is that Mike Stoops put together great defenses and Brent Vittables put together great defenses and and they Mm -hmm. coexisted really, really well for a long time. And then even, even when Mike left to go to Arizona and came back, they still coexisted okay together but somewhere in there something went wrong and i don't know if it was complacency i don't don't know if it was if it was just i don't know something went wrong in it but there used to be big names on this defense like you're talking about there used to be those guys who came through and and if you look at brent vittables look what he's doing at clemson kids right but he's he's the only one i can think of well, I'm saying he's not having problems getting big time recruits to come to, to Clemson. Um, and, and whenever the, the thing is, you, you get a you get a guy like a Mark Mangino, you get a guy like a Mike Leach, you get a guy like a Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel stayed too long. Josh Heupel should have taken a job, um, and and he didn't. And so, um, you know, um, you get guys that come in and they do good. Well, they're they're going to get the call to to go somewhere else. Mike Stoops. I think he overstayed, and then I think once he left, he shouldn't have come back. That's just my my take on it. Um, but um, I, I'm going to throw this out there because we're, we're going to push another break here in just a few minutes. But he, here it is, man. It, 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 the season's upon us. You and I have been at odds um, on this. I've said this game, this first game against Houston, a much more difficult game than than two weeks from now when they go to UCLA. You say UCLA a much more difficult game than this game against Houston. I I think Houston's going to put up numbers, Rich. I, I think I think this game is going to be a first half shootout. I think Oklahoma maybe can capitalize on some things late in the third quarter into the fourth quarter and pull away with a 14, 17 point win. I I would not be shocked, not shocked at all, if Houston walks off the field. Sunday night, having put up 400 plus yards in Oklahoma's defense would not surprise me. In fact, I'm expecting it based off of what I've seen the last two years, because you look at this depth chart and it's the same guys. It is, I mean, we've already talked about it. It's the same guys in that secondary. The only thing that's going to change is if they get stronger in the front seven. And that's Oklahoma's only hope to defensive improvement because a lot of the same guys and that defensive secondary. And then, you, I mean, obviously there's some, some safety rotations there. I, I think you're going to see corner. I, I don't think OU plays just two corners. I think you're going to see rotations there as well. But, I mean, I'm just saying I feel like the safe play here is to expect disappointment from this defense. I was talking to a guy just the other day, and he was telling me about how Oklahoma's defense is going to be so much better, the best defense in the Big 12. And I'm like, you're crazy. You're insane. He goes, no, I've seen them. I've been there, and I've seen them. I was like, what did you see, the spring game? He's like, Yes. I went to the spring game. They were night and day different in the spring game. And I said, you know what I learned from the spring game? I learned from the spring game. There is no quarterback competition for Jalen Hurts. That's what I learned. 
you know, you're trying to figure out who your offensive line is. You're trying to figure out where your quarterbacks are. You're, you're playing running backs that aren't going to crack the top three on the depth chart. You can't base anything from this defense or offense off the spring game. You can't do that. That's a rookie mistake in your fandom. And here's the other thing, Rich, is that this spring game, I mean, that, that was just vanilla. Vanilla offense, vanilla defense. It's just, it's, it's so, the, the word I'm coming to is kind of a harsh word. It's so asinine to think that Oklahoma is going to be the top defense in the Big 12, regardless of what you saw in the spring. But I, I'm, I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, you, you hope for top, you know, top, you know, from five to 10, somewhere around there that, that you can crack, you know, you're just not number 10. That's what you're hoping for. And, and when you're the worst in the, in, in not just the Big 12, but you're the worst in college football, the only place to go is up. So surely we'll see improvement. But guys, I'm telling you, it's going to, I feel like there's the potential for it to be really rough Sunday night against what I believe is probably one of the better offenses Oklahoma will face all season long, not just the non-conference slate. I can't disagree with you um, and the points that you're making when it comes to expectations. Um, and like I said, you had asked me, is there reason that we should remove this expectation of disappointment from the defense? And, and I'm still saying no to that. But the reality for me, Matt, is it's Houston, who I know has one of the better offenses or brings a returning offense that put up decent numbers. But the problem is, Oklahoma's defense, I don't think is going to be the biggest asset in keeping Houston's offense off the field, which we'll get to here in a bit. All right. Um, so let's take our, our second break and then we'll come back. I, I one more thing to throw at you. We're going to break down defensive uh, keys to the game. Be right back. You listen to Sooner Nation, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland, on Twitter at Sports Heartland. All right, Rich, let's jump back in this uh, defensive keys to the game. Um, I, I just want to throw this out here at you. Again, our, our own personal debate. I, I know um, it's not easy to sway you or to change your mind. You're saying Cincinnati. I mean, it's Cincinnati. You're saying UCLA in three weeks. Uh, I'm saying Houston right now, the toughest non-conference game. Um, score that just went final not too long ago. Cincinnati beat UCLA in the season opener 24-14. Um, your boy, um, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, um, had a negative 20 yards rushing, was 8 of 26 passing, 156 yards total, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, UCLA didn't, as a team, did not break 100 yards rushing. Uh, six, even if you take away Thompson Robinson's negative 20 yards, they're still only at 82 yards rushing. I've said it all along, both UCLA and Houston, terrible, terrible defenses but Houston by far better offense than what UCLA brings. You can disagree with me still if you want to, but I think proofs in the pudding is what they say. Yeah. I'm, uh, Matt, the, the, the issue for me is the level of physicality, the quality of the athlete. And that's no slight to any of these stars that'll be on the roster on Sunday as the visiting team heads to Norman, Oklahoma, but it's, across the board, a bigger, more physical athlete. And you know, this is going to be no secret. All the players on this Oklahoma roster know it. They're going to get every single team's best shot, 
but a home game versus Houston versus a road game against UCLA, a true road game, it sways it oh so slightly to UCLA for me, definitively. I, I'm, I'm truly speechless. I mean, you're talking about a bigger physical roster that just lost to Cincinnati. Yeah, and that's A-OK. I mean, you want we can talk I'm about telling Texas you, listen, back man, with, with Garrett it does, Gilbert. It, it doesn't matter. This is not Texas and Garrett Gilbert. This, this, this team would lose to that team. It doesn't matter where you put Houston and UCLA. <laughs> you, put them, you put them on the field in Los Angeles. You put them on the field in Houston. You put them on the field in, in Dallas, Texas. Put them on the field in Honolulu, Hawaii. Houston will beat UCLA nine out of ten times. This is a oh, yeah. UCLA is a bad, very bad football team. Um, and that's all I'm saying. And I think this, like, this, not that they lost to Cincinnati, but that they lost double digits to Cincinnati. Um, Oklahoma's defensive keys. Here's what I'm talking about when, when it comes to this Houston. Um, for me, the first defensive key, and I don't know if you want to alternate them or if you want me to give you all of mine and then you give me yours. But here, here's my first defensive key. They got to contain De'Aaron King. This is a quarterback, unlike any other quarterback, I believe that they're going to face this season. He can hurt you with his legs. He can hurt you with his arm. He's got offensive weapons around him. He's got a former Texas Longhorn uh, in the backfield at running back. He's got fast receivers who can get open in space. The last thing you want this guy to do is leave the pocket. Quarterbacks like Derek King become much more dangerous when they get out of the pocket. You want to keep him contained. That means those Russians, that means those linebackers, they're, they're going to have to keep him, funnel him in the middle so linebackers can clean up. But you also, you got to get to him with middle pressure because you don't want him getting to the outside. So for me, first defensive key, keep Derek King in the pocket. I'm actually going with the exact same one surprise surprise here just because of how vital that piece of information Matt, that you've given us is to the success of this defense we've laid out it's been discussed time and time again the struggles of this defense from year to year if they're looking to improve and specifically in game one it starts with exactly what you've said containment setting that edge making sure Derek king does not run free making sure that he doesn't extend plays into Houston's favor in order to be successful and keep it from being a shootout later into the, into the second quarter, or excuse me, second half. Right, yeah, 100%. So we're on the same page. Give me your second defensive key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I'm looking at a second one, uh, the, the option is going to be bend, not break. Know that Houston has the capability of putting up some big plays know that they're going to test this secondary early and often. I believe they're going to test Parnell Motley more often than they test Trey Brown. And when that challenge comes, I know I'm singling someone out, but Parnell Motley is going to need to be ready. They're also going to test the, the youngness of these safeties and throwing some confusion out there. So the I ideology that I would be preaching and the key to success is knowing that, that Houston's going to have success on the offensive side of the ball, but it's not allowing them to rattle off these, these big plays of 50 plus heck we'll even go 20 plus yards. Um, uh, I don't know, 10 times in the game. Well, you're hundred percent correct in that Houston is going to have big plays. You just, this is too good of an offense not to, we talked about how good De'Aaron King is. His top three targets are back. Um, you know, Marquis Stevenson, 75 catches last year for 1019 yards. He scored nine touchdowns. 
on his own. So they're going to have big plays. You, you just, you can't stop mm-hmm. the big plays. They're, they're just too good. Oklahoma's not there yet defensively, which I think for me, the second key is uh, along those lines is that you got to, there's airplanes flying over me. I just, I, again, I apologize for the background noise. Good news is next week I'm back in Oklahoma. Um, but you've got to, um, you got to, you got to, you got to cover and you got to cover for a long time. Oklahoma's going to have to have to make sure these guys are covered, whether you do zone when you come over the top and underneath them, whether you try to man them up. I don't, I think they're probably going to zone and try to, instead of trying to man up just because the the focus is going to be on takeaways. Um, But you got to account for these receivers. You got to account for them. You can't let them get behind your zone. You can't let them, you know, if one of the, one of the issues that Oklahoma has had, I believe with his defensive secondary in the past is they've been so weak with the front seven that the, the guys in the secondary don't trust the front seven. There has to be trust there. They have to not have their head in the backfield. Their head has to be on their receivers. So for me, the second thing is not just to cover, but to cover for a long time, to be able to cover no longer than what you're typically supposed to. We've talked about going beyond that four second window in coverage they're going to have to do it they're going to have to do it and um and that to me that's just that that that's going to be the key right there if 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 Oklahoma secondary cannot maintain coverage of these three receivers this game's going to be a little bit more uncomfortable than what it should be right so here's my final uh, with that and I'm just going to throw this in there my 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 um my second key number two part b would be take away the long ball Take it away. Make, make Derek King throw underneath. And, and the way you do that is, is you got to get pressure. Whether that pressure comes from the middle or whether it comes from the edge, but you're still able to, to, to keep containment, you cannot give him time to go long. And it, it just make that – make that. I mean, just, just take that away as an option and, uh, and make him throw short. And if you do that, then you really you, – you begin to frustrate an offense, particularly in a high-caliber, a high high-potent offense, you begin to frustrate them. And when you frustrate them, they make mistakes. So, so that's my number two key. Num- number three for me is, um, is you got to, you know, focus on the run. Kyle Porter, uh, you know, he, he is expected to, to take over as the top running back this year after transferring from Texas and setting out. But the guy that's, if, if Kyle Porter is number one, the guy behind him, Patrick Carr, ran for almost 900 yards on his own last season. So, um, you know, as you're, as you're focusing on Derek King and as you're focusing on these receivers, don't lose sight of the fact that they, they've got pretty good running backs as well. I'm going to do a two-part one then. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. If, if I can do it, you can do Since it. Since you've done it, I'm going for it. The third one for me, Matt, really came down to creating turnovers. I think that one of the best ways to keep the ball out of the hands of Derek King is to force those turnovers. If Oklahoma, as they're preaching, can get two turnovers a game, they've got a, a high chance of being successful in every single contest, regardless of who that opponent is. But it's getting those two turnovers that has been problematic for this Oklahoma defense. So putting a priority on creating turnovers and making it happen. But we go back to this bend, not break, because you have to take a calculated risk at that point in time. And then if I threw a part B in there, it would be once you get Houston in a third and long situation to actually keep them from converting that. How many times did we see this Oklahoma defense? I I guess this would be two B for me. How many times did we see this, this Oklahoma defense find themselves in a very successful position on third down 
and completely fall apart, which sustained the drive for the opponent and completely wore out this defense. I saw it more than a handful of times. So again, specifically against this Houston offense, offense that can put up the numbers, you're going to want to maximize the number of stops you get, whether that comes via turnover or whether that comes on, on third and long and actually keeping Houston from converting. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad – I'm really glad you mentioned turnovers, um, and I agree with everything you said, but I'm glad you mentioned turnovers specifically uh, because I was trying to figure out a way to work that in there. And let me just throw this out there before we switch to offense is that the the, the focus on turnovers does bother me uh, just, just from a fundamental standpoint. This team in this secondary was so fundamentally bad uh, when it came to turning the ball over, uh, when it came to covering people, that now if they're focused on turnovers, if they're focused on getting interceptions – I, I worry about fundamentals again. And, and it's just because of what I've seen. And now, you know, they, they have every, every, every right, every opportunity to prove me wrong Sunday night. And I hope they do. I hope Sunday night makes me, when we're on talking about this game, uh, post game, I, I hope I say, hey, this is fundamentally a better defensive team than what we saw the last <laughs> two seasons. That's what I hope to say Sunday night. I don't know that I'm going to get to say that, but I hope to say that. Um, Give me uh, two guys that you're watching on defense, two, two players to watch defensively. Well, defense, I think the easiest name to throw out there is Jalen Redmond, simply yeah. because of the hype that has surrounded his name. The word coming out of camp is, is he does have this high motor and has the ability to impact the game almost immediately from the very first snap of the game. It'll be interesting to watch him. It'll be interesting to see how he affects the rest of this group, specifically up front and talking about how large of a factor Neville, Neville Gallimore is within the trenches. So maybe they, those two guys can play off of each other, free each other up to cause havoc in the backfield, whether that's for running backs or whether that's for a quarterback like King that's coming to town on Sunday. The second guy that I'm going to be looking at, I'm going to be watching here. Um, and this is more, more of a standpoint. I want to know who's going to win this battle and what option Alex Grinch actually goes with. It's at the nickelback position. You've got, Ooh. you've mentioned Brendan Radley Hiles, but chance Sylvie is listed as that, or he's a bigger guy, bigger frame, taller stature than what bookie is when he steps onto the field. So it's going to be interesting to see how these these two are utilized and in what situations. I'm giving you three. So in what situations they will be utilized and because I fully expect to see them both depending on what's happening. Right. Uh, um, and those are two guys that I absolutely would have mentioned. Um, and um, um, Sorry, someone just sent me a text. <laughs> um, but here, here's the other. Uh, if I could just throw one more name out there uh, with you, uh, because I the two guys you mentioned, and even Neville Gallimore would be one I would throw out there. But I think I think now with the re revelation of this depth chart is is Parnell Motley. Uh, people, you're gonna. I think people are naturally gonna be drawn to Parnell Motley to see did is this guy how much has he changed? How did he? How did he earn that? How did he earn that that right to be listed as this unquestioned starter? There's no or by his name. He is listed, penciled in, uh, I guess, ink pinned in there as a starter. So he would be my other guy uh, to watch. It, it, guys, you didn't mention. Flipping sides of the ball offensively, I, I, I want to start. Um, well, I, I started on defensive key, so I'll let you go ahead and start. First offensive key of the game. 
Yeah, that one's extremely easy for me. And I had mentioned this previously, but didn't want to get too much into it because I knew we were headed this direction. And that's to run the ball successfully. When you look yeah. at what Oklahoma has at the running back position in Kennedy Brooks, Trey Sermon, TJ Pledger being the three names you see on that three deep depth chart. When you look at the talent that they have, they should be able to run the ball on anybody in the country. It's not going to mm-hmm. matter who's standing across the line from them. But what it comes down to is if you can run the ball successfully, if you can move the chains while running the ball, again, it's more time off the clock. And when you control the clock, especially against some of these offenses here in the Big 12, you set yourself up for success. So I think this game honestly starts with with running the ball. And I don't care if that's Jalen Hurts even running it on occasion, but I fully expect to see Trey Sermon just running over people. Kennedy Brooks, uh, putting on some of these uh, flashier moves, if you will. I know he's got that straight line speed as well. So it'll be an interesting duo, but I do expect them to carry the offense in this game. Well, and I agree 100%. And I'm just going to add to that because that's my first is not not only did not not only is this a key for Oklahoma, but Houston revamped their defense that their brand new defensive mm-hmm. coordinator, they switched right. their style from a three, four to a four, three with this, uh, you know, four man front for the sole purpose of stopping the running game and also to get inside pressure on the quarterback. So it, when you have a defense that, that that has switched what they do for the sole purpose of containing and stopping the running game and you're able to go out and run against them, it, it becomes a, a situation where you're demoralizing them. Let's not forget, this is a defense. Oklahoma's going up against a defense that, that set program records last season for points allowed, total yards given up, and rushing touchdowns. Opponents scored 42 rushing touchdowns on this defense last season. And so much like what we've talked about with Oklahoma, same personnel, same guys, just new coaching. I, I say you go after them. You attack them right where they're trying to improve. You want to go to a four-man front to stop the run? Well, here you go. Here's a heavy dose of, of, of the run. Here's a heavy dose of Trey Sermon. Here's a, you know, a heavy dose of Kennedy Brooks or whoever they throw out there. Um, so because of that, I, I say absolutely run the football. Uh, the second thing for me, cohesiveness along the offensive front. I mean, they, yeah, they've got your starting five. Roll with that starting five. I, I don't expect only five offensive linemen to, to play on Sunday night. I think Bill Biedenboe is going to throw out, you know, somewhere around eight or nine offensive linemen when it's all said and done uh, in this rotation. But find cohesiveness. If you put a guy in, and we'll just pick up R.J. Proctor because we started this show talking about him. If you put a guy in like R.J. Proctor and you find out that things are running a little bit smoother with R.J. Proctor in there, don't go back to somebody else just because they were penciled in as a starter. Find cohesiveness with this offensive line. They've got to they've got to settle on five guys uh, before conference play starts. So you might as well get that going first thing on Sunday night. What's your second one? Yeah, for my second one, I am going to go with take a risk every now and then. Oklahoma is no stranger to throwing the ball downfield. We have a quarterback who's taken over the reins in Jalen Hurts, who a lot of people are questioning his ability to throw. I would love for him to completely silence all the the naysayers in this context as he steps onto the field in the crimson and cream for the very first time. I don't expect that to fully happen, but I do expect them to take some shots downfield, some some risks that could pay off huge. Now, we don't have the likes of a Marquise Brown, but we're hoping. (laughs) 
we're hoping to find <laughs> that guy who can take Marquise Brown's position and, and what he meant for the team in these past two years. However, I don't know who that's going to be at this point in time. It could be one of these freshmen. It could be a Charleston Rambo. We just have yet to see that. So take some calculated risks here, throw the ball downfield, and, and reap the benefits of stretching this defense. I'll go ahead and throw my third one out there, which is really a piggyback on what I just said, because I think Oklahoma needs to attack the edges. Uh, they definitely want to open some things up, get the chains moving, run run that clock. It's, it's all about controlling the clock for me. So by attacking the edges, opening things up for the running backs, opening up those running lanes. Specifically, I'm, I'm looking at the guard pool that Oklahoma is notorious for when they start utilizing that and we get later in the game, it's going to be very beneficial to have these guys guessing where the ball is going, if it's going out wide or if it's coming up the middle. Well, yeah, and Lincoln Riley's always been a, a master at finding the mismatch uh, amongst the defenses. And, and I, I think – Absolutely think that's something that's going to get exploited uh, on Sunday night with this Houston defense. The only thing I would add to it would be my, my third thing, and, and that would be to, um, to let Jalen Hurts run the football. Um, you know, he, he, he's a guy that, uh, that every bit has the ability to run the ball. He ran for almost 1,000 yards as a freshman at Alabama. Um, and, that, you know, everybody talks about the, the power of the SEC defense. Um, I, I think I, I, I said this. You know, I've been saying it for over a month now. I think this is a big night for Jalen Hurts. I, I think between between running the ball and throwing the ball, that this could be a 500-yard-plus night uh, for Jalen Hurts. I, I really believe that. That's not just blowing smoke out there. I don't think he plays a full game. I don't think anybody expects him to play a full game next week, but then he comes back to UCLA, which you believe is a potential loss for the Sooners. Um, no, no, I, no. I, <laughs> I think that he's going to have a potentially a 450 to 500 plus yard game against UCLA as well. So I think I think Jalen Hurts begins his. I mean, it's the only it's the only show in town Sunday night. Oklahoma, Houston, national television, ABC. People are going to be talking about this game. They're going to be talking about Jalen Hurts. It, this puts him even more on the national scale um, than what it had been with his transfer to Oklahoma. Um, and then I think he, again he goes out to the West Coast in three weeks and he does something very similar to UCLA. This is, this is, this is a big month. This month of September is a really, really big month with the way these games set up for Jalen Hurts. And I think Oklahoma runs him. I think they need a running uh, and I think they will run him. And, uh, and that just breaks down a um, breaks down a defense uh, in, in multiple ways. We, for the same reason we talked about Derek King uh, we talk about it for with Jalen Hurts. That's why you want to get him out there and get him mobile. So give me um, give me two players that you are not. I mean, two players you're going to watch an offense not named Jalen Hurts. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Can I give you a position instead of an individual's name? Yeah, but you can't just say the wide receiver position. No, no, no. I'm not looking at that one. The wide receivers in general. But I mentioned it when we were looking. At the excuse me, the depth chart here, and seeing the the two freshmen, as well as Charleston Rambo, um, just seeing those guys compete in a live action situation is definitely going to be something to watch. And I don't care who steps in and fills that role. So I'll say Charleston Rambo up front. But I, I'm also curious to know what the freshmen are capable of. They're mm -hmm. coming in as highly, highly retouted, retouted 
uh, recruited or touted are the two words I wanted to use. They just got meshed together. Um, but they're coming in as highly touted wide receivers. In fact, um, was it Cam Newton said that right, Hazelwood right, was right. the most dominant player he's ever seen? It'll be an interesting, interesting night if he goes out and he proves that time and time again. If I had to pick a second one, though, Matt, uh, this is gonna. This isn't a knock against Marquise Hayes, but I want to know why. Why did he beat out a guy like R.J. Proctor? You had me buying in 100% yeah, to the Kool Aid yeah. that you were selling on Proctor and the transfer coming in with that experience. So I so wrote. You should never saying, listen oh, to me. We've got. I know, right? We've got two of these positions sewn up. Instead, Hayes is starting in front of him. Just how dominant can this group of sophomores be? And by all means, we've seen guys who are at this same age group step in previously, step in and be very successful. Orlando Brown is one of those that I'm thinking of, uh, right. amongst others. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's a good lineup. Uh, here, here's what I would add to it. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to look at Grant Calcaterra uh, because, again, a lot of a lot of love, deservedly so go into these uh these young guys these young receivers and i'm gonna throw charleston rambo in that mix he's a young receiver we we did see him have the ability to go deep uh, in in the orange bowl and you were talking about the need to to take chances and, and go deep uh we we know how how good cd lamb is i mean the guy i, I don't know if there's a better nfl ready wide receiver in the big 12 right now other better than cd lamb um, but that, that leaves Grant Cafeteria kind of on an island. He, he's going he's gonna to draw some one-on-one -on -one coverage, and, and I think it's a potentially big night for him. So, so he's a guy that, that I'm, I'm going to be looking for. And then, I, you know, I'm, I'm going back to Kennedy Brooks because we talked about how important it is to, to run the football. We, we know there's been some distractions for Kennedy Brooks uh, leading up to the season. Sometimes when those distractions come, they have one or two effects. It just makes you more focused and ready to play because that's your escape. You know, that's, that's where you go and, and you, you get out all that anger and that aggression and, and you just go and you throw it out there. And, and that's, that's a potential for Kennedy Brooks. But the other potential is that the distractions, uh, your, your mind's somewhere else. Your mind's not on the game. And, and so he, he's a guy I'm going to be looking at as well uh, on my, on my uh, offensive guys to watch when it comes to this game on Sunday night. Hey, we're going to take our final break. We'll come back, talk about the Big 12 rundown. And then we're going to talk about uh, our score predictions and we'll wrap up this episode. You're listening to Sooner Nation podcast, the online podcast for Heartland Sports. Heartland-sports.com is where you can find us. All right, Rich, um, let's, let's close this out. Um, Big 12 play officially gets underway on Friday night. Uh, this, this podcast is going to go, um, go live late Thursday night, early Friday morning. Friday night, Oklahoma State plays out in Corvallis. Uh, against the Oregon State Beavers. It's OSU against OSU, orange and black, against orange and black. Um, let's talk through this real fast. Um, Big 12 rundown. Let's start with that game. Who, who you got uh, between Oklahoma State and Oregon State? And don't say OSU. I, I'm going to go with Oklahoma State in this one. And it's largely because someone knows something that I don't. And, and that shouldn't be a revelation for anyone, it's just me acknowledging it, maybe for the first time in my life. But when I look at Oklahoma State, you know, in the top 25 rankings, they were one of the teams that was receiving votes. They've 
been able to put together teams that have been competitive regardless of the names that are on the roster, regardless of who is in those starting roles. And it's really this idea of how good of a coach Mike Gundy is and why it's so difficult to lure him away from Stillwater. He, he's got a pretty nice job there. Needless to say, I, I'm looking at that, and like I said, I'm saying someone knows something that I don't, and that's the only reason, only logical reason I can give for why I believe Oklahoma State will win that game. Someone knows something you don't, so that's why uh-huh. Oklahoma State's going to win. Yeah, I mean, they're like I said, they're getting votes that make- in the rankings. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, okay. I, mm-hmm. I guess I missed that part. Hey, Oklahoma State's a 14-point favorite. Do they cover the spread? Barely. I'm with I, you I thought it's going to be a 13-point game. Here's the thing. I'm with you. I think Oklahoma State comes away with the win here. There, there are question marks. You know, that no one knows. Uh, Mike Gundy might, may not even know who's going to play quarterback, and it, I, I think it's going to be a two-quarterback system. Um, I think it's what everyone's expecting. Um, are you able to get continuity with a two-quarterback uh, system? Oregon State has a really, really good running back, and um, and so I think they're going to try to – they've got a six-year – uh, senior at quarterback. They've got a, a running back who was one of the top freshmen in the Pac-12 last year. Basically the only highlight for the Oregon State offense last year. That's been a little bit too harsh, but this is not too harsh in that we're talking about how bad Houston's defense was last year and how bad Oklahoma's defense was last year. Oregon State's right there in the mix with them. Um, so I, I think it's a game where we learn a little bit more about Oklahoma State. Um, and if this game is is in jeopardy in the fourth quarter, it's really time to start looking about how long of a season it could be in Stillwater for Mike Gundy. Um, but uh, I, I think they win it. Um, you know, I, I think they win it around the point spread. I, if you made me take one of the teams in the points, I think I might take Oregon State getting two touchdowns, but barely around. Like you said, 13 points. I think that sounds about right. Uh, Ames, Iowa, the best big, best defense in the Big 12 is hosting Northern Iowa. Any reason to be worried about this if you're a Cyclones fan? I don't believe so. I think they've got this one sewn up. It's just a matter of making it official. And it's because Iowa State is one of those teams that's on the rise. I don't think we know exactly how good they are, but we know that they're going to get better and better with each and every game, which is what makes them so dangerous once conference play hits. Indiana State visiting Kansas. Give me some thoughts. Hey, man. Yeah, I'm going to tell you this. I know that Kansas is paying Indiana State to come to Lawrence, Kansas. I don't know how much money that is, but I know that they're paying. Okay, let's not use money terms. They are going to win. <laughs> Les Miles starts the season, starts his tenure off with a win against mm-hmm. Indiana State. That's right. Same thing with Austin Kendall, West Virginia, one of the more embarrassing games in the Big 12. James Madison visiting Morgantown. Uh, Montana State visiting Texas Tech. Stephen F. Austin visiting Baylor. Nichols visiting Kansas State. Watch that game. Kansas State wins, but Nichols will keep that game close. What do you think? Any of those games, um, that anything at all? You're in, I, I won't even, I'll be honest with you. I won't even tune into any of those games. I have zero desire. Yeah, I'm- zero desire. I'm in the same boat. The only reason I would even tune in for Kansas State is just to see what that team looks like. Well, that's Louisiana Tech at Texas. That's the only reason I'm watching Texas. Here's here's something that's interesting, okay? Uh, interesting to note, because Texas is back, right? Supposedly. 
Okay, so Texas is back. The number 10 in the nation. This game is going to be broadcast on the Longhorn Network. It's at Austin, Texas. Guess how much tickets are going for for this game? Man, I don't know. Just give me a ball. I, I wanted to it, say it, it, Texas, I wanted, Texas is back. Texas is back. Yeah, right, keep that in mind. I wanted They're to give back. you what what's a typical ballpark figure for a ticket to a stadium, but I also know that that's the largest stadium in the Big 12, so they can't sell at well they're selling more tickets, but they can't get that same price, I feel like. I wanted to say 65. 65. Mm-hmm. That's a fair. That's a because I mean when you're talking about Oklahoma and their non-conference schedule. If North Dakota comes in, that's probably about what face value is going to be on that ticket. You're going to tell me they're 95? No. 110. I'm telling, I'm telling you, can right now, right now, we're recording this 11:14 Eastern time. Uh, sorry, say October, August 29th. All right, roughly 48 hours before kickoff, you can get a ticket to this game for eight dollars. That's not bad. Do you get that yeah. on StubHub? Uh, t- Texas, Texas <laughs> it's is behind back. the pole, right? Texas is back and people are lining up to buy tickets. So much so they're going for $8. You, you, let, let, let's, let me just, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't think we can podcast without me doing some sort of rant. Kansas State hosting Nichols. Kansas State clearly not back. One of the worst teams in the Big 12 this year. You know what you can buy a ticket for that game for? Ten dollars, thirty-one dollars. Les Miles making his debut at Kansas, which will be the worst team in the Big Twelve this year. Fifteen dollars. So you're telling me all these Longhorns ranting and raving on Twitter, all over Facebook, whatever. They're not buying tickets. You're, there's no way. If you're selling tickets for as low as eight bucks, people aren't buying them. They're just not. All right, that's uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff, TCU, and then uh, Oklahoma hosting Houston, ABC, national national broadcast, 6.30 kickoff. Uh, give me your score prediction, Rich. For Oklahoma, correct? Yeah, Oklahoma-Houston. Okay, okay. So I thought I missed something. Favorites. It scared me for a second. Yeah, I, I believe this is going to be a high-scoring affair. Um, Oklahoma's still sorting some things out on defense. This offense that Houston's bringing is going to test that early and often, as we had mentioned, but Oklahoma's offense is just too high powered to back down from a challenge. So what I'm looking at is Oklahoma scoring somewhere around 56 points. And I'm going to give, uh, this may surprise you just a little bit, but I'm going to, I'm going to give Houston some credit and say they're going 38. Yeah. You and I have Houston (laughs) very, very close to one another. I'm one touchdown less than you are with Oklahoma just because I think Oklahoma tries some ball control. I think they run the ball a lot to try to keep Houston's offense off the field. That's probably something we didn't talk about enough, but I've, I've got 49-35. Um, that, that means I'm, I would take Houston and the points. The Sooners are a 23-point are a, um, a favorite. Um, it also means I would bet the over. The under-over is 79.5. So 49-35 uh, yeah, yeah, for, sure. for me, uh, Oklahoma winning this game. We'll be back right uh, after the game to kind of break it down and set some things up for uh, for week two for Oklahoma Sooners. But this has been the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up on uh, Sports Heartland, the sports uh, heartland.sports.com. And uh, we'd like to know what you're thinking, where you agree, where you disagree. Thanks very much for listening in and enjoy your weekend of college football. Boomer Sooner, everybody.